Good morning. And Happy New Year! Okay, that was burning off the last little bit of my holiday cheer. You know I'm a bit of a curmudgeon naturally, um, but I mean there's something about Christmas that just gets to all of us, doesn't it? I was struck while I was sitting down there singing Bar None, my favorite hymn uh, of the faith, uh, by how God plans things. We like to believe, you know, as, as pastors and elders and people who work on staff and do all kinds of things at church, that we plan the worship services. That's not completely true. Because I didn't talk to the people who chose the hymns today. and I just want to remind you of two lines at the beginning of verse 2 of the last hymn we sang. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. New Year's Eve is, or is one of those days that lots of people spend time coming up with resolutions. Uh, I made a resolution several years ago that I have to this point kept. It wasn't a New Year's resolution because I didn't want to have a self-reflexive problem here. I made a resolution that I have kept not to make any more New Year's resolutions. And that's the only way I've been able to keep a New Year's resolution. By not making any. But you, you, you know the feeling, don't you? And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to keep uh, New Year's resolutions. Pastor Steve, as he was uh, talking this morning, talked about the resolution that you could make to actually read the Word of God with the rest of us this year, you know, as we this month go through Genesis. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And it's beneficial to have a whole bunch of resolutions, things that we come up with, things that we want to do in the year to improve ourselves and improve the world around us. It's a good thing. The problem we find, well, actually there's two problems, but I'll get to the second one in a few minutes. The first problem and the most extreme one, I think, for us, at least at the surface, is that it's really, 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 and go a little bit longer with reallys, hard to meet a resolution. We'll usually make it the first couple of weeks. If you've got really good willpower, you'll make it a month or two of following this resolution. It's really hard to undercut a habit, something that we've done before, something that's been ingrained in us. It's even worse for those of us who are Christians because part of the thing that we do as Christians is to, by the Spirit, wage war against deeds of the flesh, to repent of our sin, to be the kinds of people that tomorrow or the next day or the day after are slightly more godly than we were by God's grace the day before. And I mean, it's extreme for me to say this, but I think that those of us who have actually spent any time waging war against deeds of the flesh or the sins that are ingrained in us recognize how hard that is. We, we, we like to, you know, imagine that we're in a better position than most addicts, but the fact is most of us are pretty solidly addicted to our sin. We do these things because we enjoy them, at least in the moment, and we keep doing them. And so resolutions don't succeed because 
the, res- the, the thing that we've got behind us, the, the things that we're trying to oppose sometimes, the habits that have become negative in our lives, are, some of them are not merely bad, they're sinful. And in that case, they have both uh, our sinful nature and the world around us warring against them. And so our meager, limited willpower has no ability to overcome them. Or at least very limited power to overcome them. And if we do manage to overcome them, we end up just becoming proud of the fact that our abilities and willpower overcame our sin, and then we become sinners again because the pride becomes more important to us. The first problem we face when it comes to resolutions is that we, well, we don't have the willpower to meet them. But I think the second, there's a second problem, a much more extreme problem. Uh, when uh, Matt Leahy, pastor at uh, KCC, preached last week, he mentioned that I had said something to him that kind of mo- well, messed with his mojo. I told him that uh, not for one minute of the entirety of my life, not for one nanosecond, have I ever loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, much less loved my neighbor as myself. And so I am a sinner, and I am lost in sin, independent of God's work in my life. And so often when I come to the resolutions, even the good ones, my resolutions are not aimed at God, but at some benefit to myself. I resolve to lose some weight so that I can be a little healthier and be a little bit more attractive to members of the opposite sex. I say I'm going to read a little bit more and a little bit better so that I will have a a little bit more intelligence and I'll be a little bit more uh, uh, known to be intelligent. Sometimes I'll even resolve to read my Bible so that other people will recognize just how godly I am. And those are all sin. The Bible says that whatever does not come from faith is sin. Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, and just to repeat it from Matthew 22, 37 to 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. As Augustine of Hippo would have put it, if we love anything but for the love of God, i.e., if we love anything as if it is more important than the love of God, we love God too little because we love God with all our heart with all our soul, with all our mind. In fact, it gets more extreme. Uh, We read Psalms last month, I believe, uh, for the month of December. And in Psalm 37, verses three to six, it says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself 
in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. You see, the problem with so many of our New Year's resolutions is that they're both too large for our weak willpower to power through, and, and, and they are too small. They don't participate in the grandeur and majesty and might of a God that we sang the glories of this morning, but are rather kind of limited, superficial, just for the benefit of this coming week or this coming little bit of life that we have. And into the midst of this, into the midst of this situation that we face, our own problems, our own difficulties, God speaks. I'll be reading from Micah chapter 5. I'll be getting to read it first 7. If you're using the Pew Bibles, I think it's page uh, 730. Is that right? Somebody got a Pew Bible there? 730? 730, I'm not sure particularly. The Lord God, through his word, says this. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations. In the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forests, like a lion, young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off the sorceries from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in the anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. My apologies, I'm supposed to make you stand for that. It is important to recognize the Word of God and to take note of it because the Word of God has clear things here. And where I want to go here, just to let you know where this is going, and I've got about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to do this, so buckle up. I want to explain to you that the God of the universe, noting our failures and inabilities to meet the things that we are called to do, in the first half of Micah, told us that he would send his son, 
Well, the king, the, we find throughout all these things, go back to the sermon I preached last time on, when I was up here about how God worked all things so that his son would come to fulfill the things we need and to not merely save us, but to purify us. To not merely defend us, but to change us into people who are defensible. That's where I'm going. And it's important for this. It's important that we recognize these kinds of things. And some of you are probably wondering, was I right when I said that whole thing about, you know, is that these resolutions may actually be sinful. They might be wrong and bad for us. Well, I'll just go to Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3. And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember, this is God talking to the people of Israel who he just brought out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And just in case we miss what gods before we might have before us, he goes into verse 4 and talks about graven images and things of our hands that we'll bow down to, that in Micah 5 we saw that he refers to. And yet, God has been so gracious and so glorious to us. What we recognized last week, what we remembered last week is that God in his graciousness and his mercy sent his son. If you're going to be Trinitarian about it, recognizes in some form God came himself because in Christ the fullness of God did bodily dwell and fulfilled what we need. And more than that, he promises here in the second half of Micah chapter 5, just after talking about the ruler that was to come from Bethlehem, tells us what this is going to mean for, at this point, the people of Judah. But I will submit for the people of God. What does it mean for the people of God that God comes? Well... First of all, in Micah chapter 5, verse 7, God defends his people. He makes sure that they persevere. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord. Now, put on your thinking caps a minute. This is going to be me taking the Bible literally, figuratively. Because this is intended to be figurative. He doesn't mean that the people of Israel become water and are on grass. He means that they're like dew in a certain way. Which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. What does that mean? Well, have you ever woken up in the morning and noticed that there's dew everywhere? Did you start the dew everywhere? No? Probably not. Can you get rid of the dew yourself? No, there's too much of it. It's everywhere. It's on all of the things that are exposed. See, dew is a form of condensation that happens in the morning because things, the water and the air just condenses on the grass. 
In fact, I would love to be able to, uh, to deal with the dew. There's a problem I sometimes have in my garage. The concrete floor is cold from the outside and the inside is heated, so on the bottom of it, where the cold meets the warm, I get condensation. And if I don't get rid of it from time to time, it starts get to creating mold. So I have to turn up the heat in my, in my garage. I don't have the power to deal with it, even in little tiny things. That is the situation that God says will happen for the people of God. The people of God, other men, the children of men, cannot stop them. As much as nations and tribes and tongues and people who dislike Christianity and the word of God and the things that God says, try to get rid of the word of God, try to get rid of the people of God, they will fail. Sure, you'll see them win in little bits over here and over here, but God will preserve his people. More than that, verse 8, he will empower his people. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest. Again, literally a figurative thing. We don't become lions, but we become like lions. Like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, the, through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Now, that doesn't mean that the people of God are meant to be horrible people that go around tearing people around. It's because the people of God are to have a strength about them, a power about them that God gives that, well, oddly enough, causes a strange godly fear in those around us. Have you ever noticed this? You talk about how you are, in fact, a believer in Jesus Christ, and you talk about the true God whom you believe in, and people who don't like God very much, and they exist, they're out there, react, well, far stranger than if they thought that you were crazy. They're almost scared. There's a very simple reason why they would be scared, because God really is real, he really does say, say the things he says, and he really does mean the things he says. And our rebellion, if we want to live in rebellion, we will face the recompense of our rebellion. If you look down at verse 15, in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This will come to pass. The Bible talks about how we are the savor of life to those who are alive and to death to those who are dying. That's the way it works. Finally, God gives victory to his people. Micah 5.9, your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. Now, Again, I want to be careful here because uh, Christians in the modern world have weird ideas sometimes about what it means to live a victorious life. Sometimes people will say you have victory over your, over your uh, finances, you have victory over your health, you have victory over all of this kind of thing. I'm going to tell you right now that this victory is victory over all of your adversaries, not merely the surfacey things, but also, you know, the, the prince of darkness, Grim, we tremble not for him. You know why? 
Because one little word shall fell him. What little word? Jesus. It's God's victory that we participate in, that God works through us. And this is what he's promising to the people in Micah's time, the people of Judah. And I've been kind of saying us too, but I'll get to that as to why I can say that. But for the moment, recognize what the promise in Micah is. God works to persevere, to preserve, defend, and glorify his people. That's what the promise of Jesus Christ is. That's what it means to know Jesus, to know that God has worked in our lives to give us grace, to give us mercy, to condescend to us, a sick, twisted people on a speck of a speck of a speck of a speck in the wing of a small galaxy in the corner of God's creation that he has somehow, for some reason, given us the grace to be made in his image and to then redeem. And it's all on God's terms. Because that's not all he says. I already pointed to verse 15. And I've already talked about the sinfulness that we so often live in. Where our hearts are not on God. And we find it so easy to forget God. I am relatively sure, I'm praying that it doesn't happen, but I am relatively sure that when I pull out of this parking lot and turn right on Topsail Road and some idiot just slows down when I'm just turning, I am sure I am not going to trust in the majesty and and righteousness of God. I am going to trust in the fact that he stood in front of me and I have the right to yell at him. That's probably what I'm going to do. He can't hear me. I've got a nice vehicle that is, you know, closed in on all sides, got acoustic glass on the front. When When I'm yelling, he won't hear it. But that doesn't change the fact that I will be sinning when I do that. And I find it so easy to do. It doesn't change the fact that so often I will find myself doing things that are good so that you guys think well of me. While it's good to do the good things, it's good to read my Bible, it's good to know all of these things, if I'm doing it for you, You've become my God. And I am to have no other gods before him. And yet, that was true of the people of Judah. I mean, we've done a lot of minor prophets when I've been up here. You know the people of Judah are not a great people. They are not noted for their godliness. And yet God promises to do these things for them. But the sin is serious, and that's why when you read verses 10 to about 14 here, you need to think something a little bit different than what we naturally think. What I naturally think when I see these verses is God's taking something away from his people, so that's a bad thing. You know, something they got going to be taken away, that's bad, right? We think something is bad if it's removed from us. 
Might I submit that what God does here in these verses is he cleanses his people from their unrighteousness. You know, you should actually have playing in your head a, a text in the New Testament. You know, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he's doing for the people at My, uh, that Micah is talking to. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. And I will cut off your cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. Sounds bad. Except he said in the first half of this that he's going to grant his people victory. It's because he's going to grant his people victory. They don't need this kind of stuff to grant them victory. They need to trust in God who grants them victory, not in their military power. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but they had by this point become the main thing that they trusted in instead of trusting in God. They hadn't become a means of trusting in God. They had become the thing they trust in. It's like you, being part of a church is a massive blessing. Thank you guys for loving me enough to be a member of, uh, of a church with me. It's a good thing. But if I do everything to make you guys happy, that's actually a sinful thing. God needs to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Sometimes I wonder that the reason that we have a kind of a collapse in churches in the modern West isn't merely because we have, you know, turned away from God and sinfulness. It is that too. But so often people have come to believe in the institution over the truth of God's work in the institution. To trust in the people around us, and again, you guys are nice, you are great people, don't get me wrong, but you're not God. I like every one of you, but you're not God. And I'm going to, <laughs> and so, the things that we need to be purified of, God removes. So by God's grace, we need to make sure that we don't actually use these things for the wrong messages because God might actually remove them for the sake of blessing us. I've said this before and I sometimes get in trouble for saying it. Sometimes riches and blessing and that is a blessing for you. Sometimes riches are a curse. You can actually be blessed in such, what can be a blessing for one person can be a curse for another because they will use it in the wrong ways. If you use anything but for the love of God, you're placing it above God and God will purify. And so he tells them to not trust in their military power. But even more than that, look at this in verse 12. I will cut off sorceries from, from your hand and you shall have no poor tellers of fortunes and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. Again, could be seen as a bad thing. Probably not because it's not good to be bowing down to these things. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. Again, sounds bad, but may actually be a blessing because what God is doing is making sure that his people are focused 
on him. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful about what we see happening in our lives and how we read it. It is so easy to think getting stuff good, losing stuff bad. It is so easy to imagine that God isn't working in the negative things in our lives, but (laughs) it's clear that he is. When God says in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to his purposes, he doesn't say some things or the positive things or the things you really like. He says all things. And God, in his mercy and his graciousness and his goodness, uses all things to bring us closer to himself. God purifies his people. The people whom he has saved for his benefit, he purifies. And he brings ultimate justice to pass. That's what it means in verse 15. I've read it a couple of times. I don't want to read it again. But I've said, I've been being conflating things here because I don't think you should read the Old Testament as if the Old Testament was necessarily written to us simpliciter. This is one of the reasons why I think you need to be careful about how you read your Bible. How is it that we, most of us not from a Jewish background, I think there's a couple of us that may may have been at some point from a Jewish background, but we're not now. How do we, who are not Jewish, get grafted into this? How is this focused on us? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm just going to remind you of something that Pastor Steve preached on last week. He started from, he did a Christmas message from John chapter 1, which is kind of surprising, but, you know, kind of brilliant when you think about it. This is from John chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. Now, talking about Jesus, John, in his preface, talks about Jesus an awful lot, and he says this, the true light, which give light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, and this is Jesus, The Jesus that we see prophesied in the first half of Micah, chapter 5. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But, massive but here, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, you should take your Bible literally. This is true. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, You are of the people of God, and God's promises are true for you. So when I talk about how in Micah, the people of God are uh, blessed, they are defended, they are protected, they are given ultimate victory in in this king that they are going to have, namely Jesus Christ, that's true for you. 
And it's interesting that the way that you do it is by believing in him. You see, the the thing that we see here in Micah chapter 5 is that God wants his people to trust him. They are going to be facing exile. They are going to be facing difficulty. In 2023, we are probably going to face adversities, either corporately or individually. We live in a Genesis 3 world. Tomorrow, if you're following the Genesis program, you will read Genesis 3 and find out what I mean by that. We live in a post-sin world. And in a post-sin world, things break, things don't work, evil sometimes wins. And it will look like that to us, at least in the limited sense. But God tells us that we need to be trusting in him. We need to trust in his provision, trust in the provision of his deliverance, trust in the provision of his perseverance. He will preserve his people. He will defend his people. Remember the New Testament? You know where it says, yea, though they kill you, not a hair of your head shall perish. Something to take apart later, but it's, it's a good thing if you want to look that up. It's, it's, it's a great thing to think about. And that trust, if we take John chapter 1, verses 9 to 13 to heart, means that that trust makes us people of God. So it's true. So then what do we do with this? Well, for 2023, facing all of these things, basing all of this truth that we see in the Word of God, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, we need to trust in God. Trust in the God we know, not the God that we make up in our own imaginations, the God that we see in his word, the God who makes sure that all justice works together. He works all things together, the God who rules and reigns over reality itself. And don't worry, you have too small of a view of God. Just to give you an idea, remember that we live in a universe where I don't know, uh, our planet is a little tiny speck circling a star. And I remember Matt Leahy gets really off on reading about the the James Webb Space Telescope, and they looked at this little section of space, and they found hundreds of galaxies. So each little point of light that we see, some of them might be stars, More likely, you're talking about a galaxy, which is millions of stars. And around each of those stars, there are planets. And our planet is like one of those in one galaxy. And when we say that God created the universe by the word of his power, that Jesus Christ upholds it by the word of his power, that's what we're talking about. This God who rules and reigns, we trust him. This God who, when seeing our sins, didn't leave us in our sins, but instead sent his son to live among us. Trust in that God. The God who promised that when he went returned to heaven, 
that when Jesus returned to heaven, that he would send the counselor so that by the Spirit we might put to death the deeds of the flesh, that we might live in the Spirit, and that because God, Christ is interceding on the right hand of God the Father, and that the Spirit is working in us, we are doing greater things than the Lord could do even just by being one person on earth. Brothers and sisters, trust in this God. But be careful not to just simply let that trust be a passive thing that simply leaves us where we are because God desires to purify us. Brothers and sisters, as we face adversity in the coming year, as we face difficulties in the coming year, as we come up with resolutions, if you do that kind of thing, for New Year's, seek first God's righteousness. I'll point you to the text that comes from, weirdly enough, the motto of Newfoundland. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34, it says this, Jesus talking to his disciples, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Lord knows you need those things. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But I guess we could also look look at the text of the hymn we sang earlier. Brothers and sisters, were the right man not on our side? The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Jesus Christ, it's he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same. And he, not our strivings, not our abilities, not our strength, he must win the battle. Let's pray. Lord God, standing before your people and opening your word to them is a daunting task. I pray that in the midst of this you have spoken. I pray that in the many words that I spoke that there was not too much sin present and that in the midst of it you will have been speaking to your people, calling them to know you and to love you more. And now as we turn to communion, Lord God, we pray that we would do this trusting in you and seeking your righteousness for this year. In Jesus' name we pray.